It's the football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Here's your host, AJ Nicoletti. What up? FFFSOSS.com. At FFFSOSS. Twitter trip. Twitch.tv slash AJNick3. What's up? The Prem is back. We will have some reactions to the opening weekend match day one in the Prem. So we'll kick it off with that into our weekend soccer recap. And we'll do some soccer transfer rumors. NFL headlines. Lucas Glover wins the first event of the FedEx Cup playoffs. The FedEx St. Jude Championship down there in Memphis. So we'll recap that. I'm going to save college football top 25 for Thursday. So we'll save that for Thursday. Um... So do that on the second show of the week. So, speaking of college football, the schedule for college football and the NFL preview shows are as followed. College football over-unders will play that on Thursday, August 24th. The following Tuesday, August 29th, will be our college football season preview. And then Thursday, college football week one preview the 31st. And that is the same show as... NFL over-unders the following Tuesday, the 5th of September, will be our NFL season preview and NFL week one preview on Thursday, the 7th. So that is the schedule for the pod, really the rest of August there, and we'll hit you with twice a week until then. All right? So Premier League opening weekend reaction, weekend soccer recap, soccer transfer rumors, NFL headlines, FedEx Cup playoffs, and more on this edition of the pod. Kick it off. Premier League opening weekend reactions. I have some teams that impressed. I thought the Chelsea-Liverpool match at Stanford Bridge was a great match, and I'm glad that ended 1-1. I don't think – I know people are like, Chelsea should have won. Well, Liverpool got robbed of some, some calls as well, so let's just not just throw that away. And I have that two of the three teams coming up in Luton and Sheffield United. They might need miracles to stay up in this division. So – that's what I have here in the kickoff. And the teams that impressed me, I thought Newcastle were brilliant. I know they gave up the equalizer uh, to Diaby on his deb- debut, but Tenali is exactly the player that they hoped he'd be in the middle of the park there. He marks his debut with a goal. Um, they beat a good Villa side. Now, I know Mings got hurt, and Buendia's hurt, and um, Ramsey as well, if I'm not mistaken. So they do have some injuries already for Unai Emery um, for Aston Villa, but I don't want to knock them and and say they were disappointed. I thought Newcastle were just that good. Newcastle were all over the pitch. St. James Park was rocking. They were brilliant for Eddie Howe, and that's a team that until, you know, Champions League kicks in, and he can kind of trot out his best 11 for every match, and doesn't have to necessarily worry about all the rotation of players when it comes to Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, whatever they're playing, their schedule. When you get to those twice-a-week uh, fixtures, one in Europe, one in the in, in your domestic league. So we'll see how Newcastle reacts when that picks up. But we know that they're a very talented team. They're a very direct team. Um, they defend well. Trippy has been a brilliant, brilliant signing. And for me, they were the team of match day one where I said, okay, that team impressed me the most for sure. Complete game, 
yeah, I know they didn't keep the clean sheet, but they're playing Villa, who's a good side as well. Um, and Newcastle, for me, was the team that impressed the most. Now, Man City and Arsenal, they, were, they finished 1-2 last year, so how much could they really impress? Well, I, I thought Man City was impressive, but not for 90 minutes. There were some spells there, and you heard like Pep kind of even giving it to his team, whether that was um, going right up to Holland, walking off, uh, the pitch at halftime, and the NBC cameras caught it, and he kind of just waited for them to walk away and then started giving it to Holland again. Um, the De Bruyne injury hurts, that's for sure, and it did take a little wind out of their sails, no no doubt about it, but to win 3-0, comprehensive, away from home, match day one against the side that is excited to come up and back in the top division with a different style when they left it, uh, being Sean Deitch and, you know, parking the bus and very, very defensive, very, very low blocky now to this company style where he wants them free-falling, he wants them scoring goals, he wants them up and down. And there are some moments in the match for Burnley, that's why I want to say Man City impressed me, but not for the 90 minutes, but they were still Man City. They get a 3-0 win, Holland scores two goals. I mean, it is what it is. Now, Arsenal, in moments similar to City, impressed me, and... To be fair to Arsenal, especially with this Timber injury now, and we know that Jesus is not fit to start the season, they're not at full strength, to be fair to them. So Arsenal in moments, Saka probably the goal of the weekend. Uh, brilliant, brilliant finish. Brave to take that shot on. Um, and it was um, a, a great goal. So I would say, for me, Newcastle, head and shoulders above these two other teams that I'm that I mentioned in, in impressing me. Um, I really like what I saw from Arsenal. I like what I saw from City in, in parts, but Newcastle truly, truly impressed me. Now, the other clubs that you're looking for here in a Manchester United or a Tottenham, Tottenham did not show me enough. Now, I, I respect uh, Pasacoglu making the big call, taking Romero out with the concussion. I thought that was very brave of him to make that decision, um, but it's very easy for players and coaches the like and managers to ignore the signs of the doctors and let people continue if they say they're going to continue to play right uh but that was a good job by him but to draw against Brentford I know they're away but um that's some PK they're gonna they're gonna though Penny conceded they're not gonna like and for United a lot of people are saying that United were the second best team at Old Trafford today against Wolves a team that a lot of people think are gonna get relegated so I can't really say they impressed me. Now, I know they got the goal. I know they got the three points. I know they got the clean sheet. But if you didn't watch that match, you say, okay, United got their goal. They probably controlled the match. No, they were in trouble. Um, they were on the ropes. And if Wolves have a striker or somebody that could have helped out uh, Cunha, they, they, they would have had their goal. And at the end of the match, we'll break it down a little later. But um, there should have been at least a opportunity from what eight yards away to to equalize that match for Wolves so I'm I can't say United impressed me I can't say Tottenham impressed me because they didn't and United he played Garnacho ahead of Sancho on the left uh he's got to play Rashford at the striker position until Hodgson's back um and ready to play and make his debut they did not bring an Amrabat yet so it is they they were pretty much full strength besides the Hodgson you know, because they play their starting defense, okay, United. They played their starting midfield because they don't have Amrabat yet. And, yeah, they're one guy short in 
the attack, but a lot of teams love Garnacho, including United, as we know, and they brought Sancho in off the bench. So I don't really want to hear it. United's got to play better. And th again, there, there were some moments for me when United impressed me when they were going forward, and I said, okay, here's the United that I'm sure could scare the rest of the league, but they were not. They were not impressive for me. Now, the best match of the weekend, Chelsea-Liverpool 1-1 at the bridge. Um, both teams did score again uh, to get VAR to chalk them off for offside goals. Salah hit the crossbar early. Uh, Chelsea had some chances. Allison made a couple big saves. Penalty shout that doesn't get any really review. Didn't make sense to me. And, and towards the end of the match, for sure, Chelsea... Uh, you could argue we're turning the screws a little more, but Liverpool did have a few moments going the other way where they could have seized the match. Um, but for Liverpool to get a point at the bridge, I don't think that's a bad result at all. And they did score the first goal, uh, so that was good to not concede first, uh, as really was the story all last season. Now, Chelsea, Enzo Fernandez, man of the match for me. Uh, he was outstanding so many times. Liverpool would press the Chelsea midfield and the ball would come to um, Enzo and he would make the right decision, whether that was one touch right back or to turn or to dribble or to, you know, play a ball, to, uh, a switch to Reese James or to Chilwell, depending on what side he was on. So Enzo was fantastic. I thought the Liverpool signings in McAllister and Sobosly, McAllister's playing out of position. Sobosly had a good game. Um, and I thought McAllister had a good game playing out of position. So I thought it was a great match, big moments. Uh, the only uh, top six top six matchup in the Prem on this match they won. And I thought it um, lived up to the hype of a good match. Now that's seven straight all-competitions uh, draws between Chelsea and Liverpool. And Liverpool do have the, um, I guess, bragging rights over these seven draws because two of them were in finals and Two of them, Liverpool walked away with trophies, the Carabao Cup Final and the FA Cup Final two years ago. So, Chelsea-Liverpool at the bridge, great match. Very, very much enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't be saying that if it was 2-1 Chelsea, but I would still recognize it was a good match. But, um, great match. I'm sure the neutral loved it. I'm sure. And, you know, I talk about teams that impressed me. I talk about the match of the weekend for me. And now, um, the teams that I think are in trouble. And, and I, I called these teams getting relegated, you know, in the preview last week. So I, I, I nothing really changed my mind. And I'm not going to change my mind after one week to be like, no, they're not getting relegated. They're, promote, they're staying up. Luton and Sheffield are, are in trouble. Um, they don't have... I don't think they have com competing Premier League rosters and squads. I really don't. Like, you got to hope when some of these clubs come up, they have some youngsters or they've... They brought in some guys from the clubs that have got relegated. Like, I didn't really see that, you know, from Luton and from Sheffield United. And if you don't better your squad after coming up from the championship, I don't know how you can realistically think you're staying in the top division, maybe in the world, right? I, I Like, for me, the Prem's the best league. You know, say what you want about... Um, La Liga and Syria and the Bundesliga and don't even say anything about League One to me. But the Prem is the best league in the world for me. So when these teams come up from the championship and they don't 
go and sign someone from a team that got relegated. They don't go splash on a guy from uh, a, a lower team of a different country and, and, and go get their striker or go get somebody that can score at a top level, proven score at a, at a top, top level in, in one of Europe's big leagues. But I haven't seen it from I haven't seen it from Sheffield, and I know there's still time to make some signings. But you know, you, you love to have guys in your whole camp, especially when you're coming up and you need to build that camaraderie to. Because for these teams, guys, like why you need that camaraderie, why you need that good spirit, because you're fighting every minute to get a result to stay up in this league, and the longer it's zero zero or one one. Or, you know, Lord help you, you're up 1-0. You know, the longer the results are, you getting a point or three points, you got to fight and you got to give it everything you got. So you got to give it everything you got for the man next to you and the man on the bench and the man that makes the team sheet and the all these guys that are on your team and your squad. You got to give it up for them. So that's why I think you got to do your business early in these windows, especially... The January window, obviously. But this window for me, the summer window, get your business done. Get these signings in. Integrate them into the team. Have them make the match day one uh, start in your 11. Um, and, and make it known that these are your guys going forward. You brought them into play. So, Luton, and she uh, Luton Town and Sheffield United are going to need, I think, miracles to stay up. And I think there's a lot of other teams for that last relegation spot. But I think two of them are these two teams. And I could be dead wrong, and these teams could be, you know, fighting to the last day or could clinch it. Who knows? Could get to the to that, you know, 30-plus point th threshold that, you know, those teams kind of like, the 35, 30, 35, 40. They love 40, right? But I just don't see it from either of these two teams. I think they're both going down. So, All right, those are some of my reactions from match day one of the Prem. Let's go into our weekend soccer recap and talk about each of the matches a little more detailed. So we start with the opening match, the opening fixture, Burnley, Man City, the championship champions hosting the Premier League champions, and it was the Premier League champions. Taking all three points, three goals, clean sheet, Holland the first two, Rodri the third off a little scramble in front of the mouth, uh, net mouth. Sarawi, a red car, straight red for Burnley, so they were down to 10. Big story here, De Bruyne exits in the first half, played about 20 minutes, so it seems like that hamstring that hampered him in the Champions League final and towards the end of last campaign has acted up again, and he had to exit the first match. And Holland, I mean, two goals. He's outstanding. We know he's outstanding, and we know he's just a, a goal-scoring machine in a, in a system that just feeds him opportunities to score more goals. So that was the Friday night fixture. Saturday started out with Arsenal against Forrest at the Emirates. Arsenal went at 2-1. Nketiah, a, a big goal for him, starting in the place of Gabby Jesus. Bakayo Saka, probably the goal of the weekend. Beautiful left-footed curled effort um, to beat Matt Turner, the for former Arsenal number 2. Abonani got one back for Forrest, but they cannot find an equalizer. Sheffield United, Crystal Palace at Bramall Lane. Crystal Palace went at 1-0. Edward, the goal scorer for Crystal Palace, and Roy Hodgson giving him and his uh, 
Crystal Palace, the three points headed back to Selhurst Park. And the moment there that I was thinking of with Hodge and why I bring him up is he almost got in a scrap with the guy who was at the right back from um, Sheffield United. <laughs> that was so funny when the ball went out. Everton, Fulham at Goodison Park. Fulham get the three points with the away victory. Descartes over Reed, the goal scorer for Fulham. Mitrovic still on the team. He actually came in to, uh, for a cameo there. Could be his last match for Fulham. Brighton and Luton Town. Brighton win a 4-1. Listen, people leave Brighton. It doesn't matter. They bring in more and more and more. Soli Marsh, Joe Pedro, penalty. Uh, Morris, penalty for Luton. Uh, but then Edrading, Dingra, and then Ferguson, who got his Premier League uh, season started with a goal. And Ferguson is going to be the next guy who goes for a big feat from Brighton. That's what everyone's saying. Bournemouth, West Ham, this finished 1-1. Uh, Jared Bowen, who trying to continue a little goal-scoring prowess over the last couple of years for David Moyes and West Ham. Bowen's been good for them. And Solanke got the equalizer, so the points split at the Vitality 1-1. In goals, 1-1 in points for Bournemouth and West Ham. Newcastle Villa, Newcastle 5, Villa 1. Tenali marked his debut with the opener. Diaby marked his debut for Villa with the equalizer. But then an Isak brace. Callum Wilson and Barnes came on. They both scored. So dream debut for Tenali, a goal and assist. Isak, the striker, gets two goals. And then you bring on the other striker in competition, Callum Wilson, who gets a goal. And Harvey Barnes marks his Newcastle debut with a goal as well. Unfortunately for Villa, Tyrone Minks hurt, so they had to bring in Pau Torres maybe a little earlier than expected um, and pair him with Kanza instead of Pau Torres possibly coming in for Kanza and pairing him with Minks. So Minks hurt, and Villa disappointed with the result, I'm sure, but I, I would say it's more of a product of Newcastle playing really well than Villa playing very poorly. In, in my estimation of watching a, a lot of that match was that Newcastle were so, so good. And Villa just weren't ready to match them. So I don't really necessarily blame Villa for that. So those were the matches on Saturday. Sunday started with Brentford Tottenham, the only London derby of the opening weekend. Romero seemed to have a head injury, then scores on a set piece. He gets taken out by Pasakagalu, which was a really, really classy move. Um, Hemingson concedes a penalty, and Buemo, who is going to be the man, him and Wissa are going to be, are, are going to have to score a bunch of goals in the absence of even to Ivan Tony. So Tony usually takes the pens, and Boimo steps up, equalizer. Then Wissa, good goal here for Brentford to give them a 2-1 lead. And then James Madison got taken down outside the area looking for a free kick, and he might have scored it. But ball falls to Emerson Royal, who strikes it brilliantly for the equalizer. So that was all goals in the first half. The second half remained 2-2. Uh, so the points split there. Then Chelsea, Liverpool at the bridge. Uh, great ball in from Mohamed Salah to uh, Luis Diaz. Beats Sanchez on his Chelsea debut. Then Salah has the ball in the net for a Liverpool second, but he was offside. Uh, Sassi scores for Chelsea. Very lucky off his calf. He could have swung and missed, but... The goal is a goal, and then Chilwell had a ball in the net um, nearly right away after the restart to give Chelsea a 2-1 lead, but that goal was also disallowed for offside. 
later in the match, a penalty shout-out for Liverpool after a Sobosly in-swinging corner. Struck Jackson on the hand with his palms out away from his body. I, I don't know how this is in a pen, but okay, fine. Um, and Chelsea did dictate a little more of the match, I'd say, from the, the 75th minute on. You know, last 20, 25 minutes, I thought Chelsea were the better team and Liverpool were doing enough to defend and hang on and do a good job there. And kind of what I said at the top of the show was that Liverpool are missing a six and Klopp has to play McAllister out of position there. And unfortunately, he's he can play the six. So it wasn't like Liverpool got completely exposed there. But him playing out of position and then forcing Cody Gakpo to play an eight instead of possibly being the number nine or, or, or a left winger, you know, that's interesting because Cody Gakpo is not really a natural midfielder. He's an attacking midfielder, a wing, a striker, uh, a number 10. Does he have the qualities of a number eight? Sure, but has he ever been asked to play that there, you know, and, and defend like that? So, um, I would say it, it's a fair result because Liverpool did have the ball in the net twice. Um, Salah hit a crossbar and they had a penalty shout and Chelsea also did have the ball in the back of the net twice and, um, had some good chances as well. So that one finishes up one, one. And then on Monday at Old Trafford, Manchester United and Wolves, Wolves and Lopetegui had parted ways. Gary O'Neill came in after him and Bournemouth parted ways on some wild wildness. Um, and Gary O'Neill had, had Wolves set up correctly against um, Ten Hogs. United, and United had some chances, but Wolves had chances as well. And it went late into the match, nil-nil, in a second phase of a set piece with the United defenders still up. Varane, Basaka, a little kind of chip cross in, and Varane was the first there with his head. And um, a good header. But really this match comes down to... in. Uh, towards the end of stoppage time, if I'm not mistaken, early into stoppage time. Onana comes out and clobbers a Wolves defender who is going for a ball on a set piece trying to head it in and get the equalizer. And Onana doesn't get the ball. He's late and he clobbers two Wolves defenders. And they don't even go to the screen. So I understand that okay, anywhere on the pitch it's a foul and the goalkeeper is protected and all this kind of stuff. That's fine when there's no replay, there's no VAR, the fourth official is 100 yards away and the linesman can't make any calls and it's really just down to the ref. It's not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore. So how is that not a pen? How do you not even go to the screen? So we've already had, you know, some moments in these matches where referees, as the VAR, are not trying to embarrass their buddies that are the refs in the center of the match, in the pitch, and they're not telling them to go to the screen because they don't want to embarrass them and tell them that they got their calls wrong in front of everyone. That's what we're at. And prove me wrong, then. Why don't they go to the screen? Why don't the VAR instruct them to go to the screen more? Because they don't want it to happen to them when they're in the center of the park. The referees and the PGMOL are demanding respect from managers, coaches, 
players, fans, uh, front offices, boards. Oh, they're demanding respect. How about you get calls right? And all of a sudden, I'm sure people will respect you. And even when you get them wrong, how about you take some accountability? No, never. Never with the officials. It's a joke. It's a joke. Some of the cards that were handed out over the weekend. It's a joke. Okay? All right, La Liga. Uh, Athletic and Real Madrid. Real Madrid win it 2-0. Rodrigo and Bellingham scoring in his uh, Madrid debut. But the bad news for Real Madrid, Militao and Couture both out for a significant amount of time. ACL injuries for both of those players, so we'll get to their replacements in a second. Getafe, Barcelona finished nil-nil. Rafinha got sent off for a straight red. Uh, Mata got sent off for Getafe after having two yellows. I think Xavi got sent off as well. And then Atletico beat Granada 3-1. Morata, Depay, and Lorente, the goal scorers for Diego Simeone's Atletico. Ligue PSG, Laurent finishes nil-nil. Mbappe, not in the squad, but he was at the stadium. More on him in a second. So, soccer transfer rumors and um, signings. Chelsea have done it. Um, after the pissing contest between Boley and John Henry had started between the players of Caicedo and Lavia and all these other defensive midfielders, Chelsea have gone and got both of them. Um, Brighton had agreed to a deal with Liverpool, but... Caicedo's representation did not agree to a deal player uh, player terms with Liverpool. So that's why Chelsea were still in the race. That's why Brighton weren't just like, oh, we sold to Liverpool. No, you had to agree to personal terms. And Caicedo was never going to agree to personal terms with Liverpool. And also that the fact that it took Chelsea 48 hours to up their bid and then they just go by lobby as well to me it doesn't make a ton of sense but okay I guess it is what it is and they're able to you know spread the contracts over eight years instead of the five because they're not playing in Europe so I don't know how that works and if they qualify for top four what happens to these other contracts but listen Enzo has been brilliant. He needs a little bit of help. I thought Connor Gallagher was okay, but none of the other Chelsea midfielders really showed me much. Raheem Sterling stunk. Uh, Jackson wasn't really a, a finisher, but Nkuku, that's his spot anyway. But they get Caicedo, they get Lavia, and that helps out the midfield tremendously. Tremendously. Uh, so Chelsea, more good business from them. And if, they're player, and if it turns out and it works out, hey, He's a genius for these long contracts. Harry Kane, gone to Munich. Uh, we had talked about it last week being most likely official, and it was. He made his debut in the Super Cup, uh, Super Poca, Poca, whatever it is. I don't know, Super Cup in Germany, whatever. Um, in a funny moment where he's conditioned to go complain to the referee, being the captain of Tottenham or the outfield captain because Larissa was the captain. He would go talk about the calls or whatever. What did he do? He starts to walk up to... The referee, and he's like, oh, wait a second, I don't know German. So, Cade's a Munich. Uh, City could apparently bid on Paqueta from West Ham. I mean, how many players do they need, honestly? You know, that could be a De Bruyne. You know, maybe Pep got the news that it's going to be a longer-term injury for him. You go get Paqueta. He can help out in the absence there as an attacking midfielder. So if they bid on him, they'll probably get him. Tyler Adams is apparently on the verge of a move to Bournemouth, so Forrest should be in on this guy. 
Liverpool certainly should be in on this guy. I don't understand it, but um, Tyler Adams on the verge of a move to Bournemouth from Leeds. Villa want uh, Zanilio from Galatasaray, who fell out of favor with Mourinho at Roma, if I'm not mistaken. West Ham make Ward-Prowse official, and apparently they've entered the coolest conversation from Ajax, who they had a deal with Brent, uh, Brighton. He didn't want to go there. He wants to go to Dortmund. Um, they haven't sprung a deal there yet. Chelsea were thinking to get involved, but I was before Caicedo and Lavia got done, and now apparently West Ham won't involved as well. Jack Harrison's going to Leeds. Keppa is going to go from Chelsea to Real Madrid in the absence of Cachois. So that's the big move for Keppa. Barcelona are finally going to bid for Cancelo soon. And the big news out of Paris, Mbappe is set to stay at Paris. He might sign a new contract soon because Neymar is on the way to Saudi Arabia. And apparently he didn't want to play with Neymar anymore. That was a big sticking point. And Neymar even saw the writing on the wall and was like, all right, fine, I'll leave, whatever. So Neymar is going to Saudi Arabia, and it means Mbappe could and probably will stay at PSG. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Mitrovic possibly could be next to Saudi Arabia. And Renato Sanchez and Paredes are going to Roma, and Renatovic is going to Inter. So some, um, some moves in Syria there. All right, NFL headlines here. Cowboys and Zach Morton agree to a new contract, so that will end the All-Pro guards holdout of Cowboys camp. So he'll be back in the mix for the Cowboys offensive line, which is always a good sign. Former Cowboy, Ezekiel Elliott, now we can say that because he officially has a new team. He's going to the Pats, and I think that's a good fit for him. And um, hopefully it works out, and I'll be rooting for him, as I always will. Another running back, veteran running back that got cut from their team that was looking for a new team was Dalvin Cook, and he is going to the Jets. So after a few weeks now of, you know, talking about it through the media and a little bit of negotiation, maybe he just wanted to skip out a couple weeks of training camp because Dalvin Cook is now a New York football Jet. Brock Purdy got cleared for practice for the 49ers, so that's, I guess, the reason last week why he was still slated as the number one uh, starter QB1 because... I guess they knew he was coming back sooner than later, so he is clear to practice. That's why he's QB1. Colts first-year coach Steckton expects Jonathan Taylor to be back at camp this week, but Taylor apparently still wants to be traded and will only practice and play when he is 100%. So that's the story out of Indianapolis surrounding one of the top running backs in the league, Jonathan Taylor. Another running back, uh, J.K. Dobbins, got cleared off the pup list for the Ravens, so he'll be back to action soon. And Zach Ertz got cleared for the Cardinals for full activity. Uh, golfing world, Lewis Glover wins the FedEx St. Jude Championship in a playoff over Patrick Cantlay, who Cantlay had a really good Sunday going. Um, they both defended off Rory, Fleetwood, Spieth, Homa, amongst others, to get into that playoff. And Lucas Glover wins it after Patrick Cantlay goes in the water uh, with his tee shot, which was really dumb. So... Back-to-back uh, -back wins for Lucas Glover with the Wyndham and now the, the last event of the regular season, now the first playoff event. So he is going to the BMW regardless after the Wyndham win, if I'm not mistaken, and playing well down the stretch of the season before that win. That win solidified it, if I'm not mistaken. Now he's definitely in the mix um, if he keeps winning for the FedEx Cup, as we know. And with these wins towards the end of the season... 
and a Ryder Cup on the horizon. A lot of people are talking about Lucas Glover getting a captain's pick, a Zach Johnson captain's pick for the Ryder Cup. And let me see how the team shakes out first before we start. You know, like, let's go. Let's look at it right now. Let's look at the numbers right now. I'm going to bring it up. Ryder Cup. I'm literally Googling it. Rome Ryder Cup. And we'll go to the Wikipedia because that has the – that should have the um, the the standings, right, for the players, the qualifications. No, they don't have it yet. Hold on. Ryder Cup qualifying points. Here we go. This is producing on the fly, folks. Here we go. Okay. Luke Donald, Zach Johnson. Classy captains. So Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Cantlay, Harmon are probably going to be the top four. Brooks, Homa are the top six. So they're locked in. Scheffler, Clark, Cantlay, Harmon, Kepka, Homa. It's already th two guys I don't want on the team. Right? Xander, Spieth, Cam Young, Colin, Keegan, Sam Burns is six through seven through twelve. Ricky's at 13. JT's at 14. Lucas Glover's at 16. Finau's at 21. Okay? So, just off the rip here, I'm taking Spieth, Shoffley, Morikawa, Ricky, JT, and then I got to take one from Cam Young, Keegan, Sam Burns, and Glover. We're in trouble, folks. Now is the is the is the European team that much better? Probably not. But they're pretty good. Rory, Rom, Fleetwood, Lowry, Hatton, Hovland, Fitz, Jay Rose back in the mix. It's gonna be an interesting Ryder Cup because the Americans with a Harmon. With the Wyndham Clark, like these are guys that I I would never have on my team ever, and hats off to them. They won their majors in in Ryder Cup year, so they're on the team. But holy, if they cost us the trophy, I'm gonna be pissed. End of story. So there's the, the Ryder Cup talk with Lucas Glover winning back-to-back -back tournaments. I still don't think he has enough, but that's fine. Um, and we got the BMW coming up next, so we'll talk about that on Thursday's show. So schedule for the summer here. We will do college football over-unders. We'll play that Thursday, the 24th. A college football season preview, August 29th, the Tuesday. And then a college football week one preview, Thursday, August 31st. That show will also be the show we play NFL over-unders following Tuesday, September 5th, NFL season preview. And then September 7th, an NFL week one preview. So that is the schedule for the pod going forward. FedEx Cup playoffs, two events to go there. Soccer is just kicked off. NFL and college football right around the corner. And you still got some time in summer. So good time to be a sports fan. Stick it here with us. I will talk to you Thursday. Until then, folks, have a great week. And I will talk to you Thursday. Until then, peace.
of football and sometimes other sports show. That's the name of it? Guys, check out his podcast. That sounds like my kind of podcast. Football, 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 and sometimes other sports show. Sounds like me.